I'm in Joshua 6 today, um, and the title of uh, today's message is Principles of Kingdom Conquest. We've been singing about it all morning, and I uh, wanted to read the entire chapter. Let me see if that handheld mic is on. That's my guess. It's off? All right, we'll see. Um, thank you. All right, sounds like we're better. So let's start over. <laughs> we're in Joshua 6 today, and uh, I'm going to... Uh, give us principles of kingdom conquest and I'm excited to see what God does. I have 10 principles. So you got to be ready. I've got a few slides on it today. Let me share with you where we are in the book of Joshua. Um, I've got the chapter one to five is a section. I call it entering Canaan. It took three weeks historically in a time frame. Chapter six to 12, which we're starting today. Chapter six is the conquering Canaan and it took seven years to conquer it. And then chapter 13 to 22 is the idea of dividing the inheritance, possessing Canaan. And then the last two chapters is claiming Canaan for generations to come. So that's where we are. And um, I think the way I would describe our first messages on Joshua 1 to 5 is get aligned right so you can fight. That you actually get aligned with the Lord before you actually fight with the Lord. Um, And then after that, fully occupy, and we haven't got to that section yet, fully occupy before you pass on an inheritance. And so um, that, that's an interesting way to do it. We'll see why they did, they did not fully occupy it. As a result, the book of Judges comes and the nation ends up um, in trouble. I want to link this as we start. I'm going to read Joshua 5, 13 to 15. It's where we ended last week. If you're... Um, just here as a newcomer, last week's message was on Joshua 5. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you can watch it or listen to it um, online on our watch or podcast site. Let me turn to Joshua and just read that. And so here we are, Joshua 5.13. Here's the close. Um, it kind of serves as a bridge passage between the preparation and the entrance into the land and then the beginning of the conquest Uh, Joshua 5.13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. We're not sure exactly what he was doing, but he's near Jericho. They had camped at Gilgal, uh, where the reproach of Egypt had been rolled off or rolled away from them. We spent time talking about that last week. And then um, he's obviously looking at the city, trying to survey it, survey it to decide, okay, how am I going to conquer this particular city And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a capital M stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, so it looks like a soldier, man being at some pre-incarnate form of Christ. Um, And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So the idea there is he's thinking humanly, like, I could tell you're, you're a heavenly being. Are you fighting for Jericho? Are you fighting for the Israelites? And the answer from the Lord was neither or no. I'm not fighting for them or for you, but I'm fighting this battle. Will you join me? And so Joshua fell on his face to the earth, worshiped him and said, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? 
Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals or your sandal off your foot and the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So whose battle is it? It's, it's the Lord's. And Joshua had to take off his sandal to indicate I am fully surrendered to the Lord. Um, surrender is the beginning place of any victory and any battle that we're going to fight on the offensive. We must start with surrender. So now we'll go to Joshua 6. Um, and I'm just going to read this. And um, maybe we could display this, Eve, out of the New King James, the entire chapter. Um, I'll just read it in one shot without making too many comments. I'll make a few. We'll see. Um, 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. It's past tense. It's been done. We had hints of that in chapter 2, chapter 4, that they're afraid of the God of Israel. They've heard about the Red Sea dried up, the River Jordan being crossed, and they, everyone's come in from the, the, the surrounding area, and they've come into the stronghold of Jericho, and it's walled and shut up. And the Lord said to Joshua, notice the promise, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all your people shall shout. There's still feedback from the stage, Nick. Some, some mic is on when you find it. Um, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God was tangibly dwelling. And he says, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the Ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had not commanded the people, excuse me, had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came to camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. Then the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continually blew the trumpets. 
And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did so for six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day, seven, notice all the sevens, sevens is the Lord's number, seven is the day of Sabbath rest. It says, on the seventh day, they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction or committed to, to destruction. The word is cherem, which means devoted to his holiness. It belongs to the Lord. Um, it's dedicated fully to him. Um, I know that's a confusing concept, but I just want to unpack that for a moment. Um, and all who are in it, only Rahab the, pro the harlot shall live and all who were with her in the house because she hid the messengers that were sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, harem, the things that are under the ban that belong to the Lord, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. No, that's troublesome. We'll get to it in a little bit here. But Joshua said to the two men who'd spied out of the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she'd hid the messengers whom God spent, sent, excuse me, to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds or rebuilds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall shut up, set up its gates. By the way, this happened in 1 Kings 16, verse 34. Somebody did that at that cost. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the country. I want you to notice a couple things on this. I want you to notice the structure, the some bookends. First of all, the city is in fear because of the people of Israel, because they've heard of the God who saves. They've understood that God, you know, destroyed the Egyptians. He destroyed the Og and Sihon, the kings on the east side. He had parted the Red Sea, parted the Jordan. They were literally quaking in fear, not because of the people, because these are not military people. These, these guys have been living in a desert for 40 years. And they were afraid of a military conquest. And, and yet, 
they're afraid of the God that's with them. And of course, what's happening is the Ark of the Covenant is being marched around the city. It's the Lord's presence. It's the Lord's war. It's the central issue in the march. It's the soldiers, the priests blowing trumpets, the Ark, followed by more soldiers and the people as they march around the city. And the central idea is the Ark. And the bookends are the nations of the earth, if you will, are afraid, but the fame of the people of the God spreads. You see how the bookends are, and in the middle, God is going to fight this victory, and he's going to move supernaturally to defeat his enemies. So that's the structure. The city of Jericho, just for background, is one of the oldest cities in the ancient Near East area. It's about founded about 8,000 BCE. Um, it was a, an important strategic city-state. Uh, the only central uh, entrance, if Israel were like this, I'm, I'm speaking like a Westerner, we think north to south, upwards. If you're in the east, they've turned the map sideways and the top of the map is to the east. So Israel would look like this uh, with the northern part over here. But what's happening is um, there's two northern entrances, one from Lebanon, one from Syria. There's a southern one from Egypt. And there's one central one from the Transjordan Plateau. That's where they were and Jericho was the armed city, the city-state. Think of feudalism. If you remember your, your uh, European history where they had a castle and all the villages, or actually maybe more modern for you is Downton Abbey where, where they have a, they have a uh, what do they call that? An estate or a lord, you know, and that lord stewarded an area of land which people farmed off of that. But in, in a walled city, that actually was the place of protection that the people ran to. And it was the, uh, there was a king with mighty men in that to actually take that. And there were many strongholds like that throughout all of Canaan. Jericho being one right at the gate of the entrance. And this is what it looked like. There were actually two walls. Um, again, if you're listening, you'll have to watch this uh, as we preach it uh, on today's date. There's an outer gate. There's an inner gate. And these are actually sloped walls. I'll show you a picture in just a moment there. Um, th these walls, the stone portion of the outer wall and the, uh, was roughly um, 10 to 15 feet tall and, on and about 13 feet wide. And on top of that, they built mud bricks another 10 to 15 feet. So this is a massive wall. The inside or along that, our residential quarters is probably the poor part of the city where people would come in and most likely Rahab's house was right on the edge of that wall. The wealthy and the armed men are in the inner part with the tower, the watchtower in the inner city. Um, and uh, there's a spring inside the city. So these guys could have lasted a long time. In fact, when they discovered the ruins in 1907, 1908, when they were doing excavation, they found that the burned ruins were filled with grain and all sorts of provision. Remember, it was harvest time. They'd harvested, the city was filled with that. And so this is what it looks like. And this is what the walls would have looked like in terms of the ramp. Now there's the Israel marching around it. And notice when the walls fall out, what happens when those mud brick walls fell, it actually created a ramp which they could go up into the city and take it. That's how they went straight in. And interestingly, in the excavations, they found one section on the north wall that the mud walls were still intact. 
And that's most likely, it was a residential quarter. It's most likely where Rahab's house was. So the rest, I've been there. I've been to this site three times in Israel. It's fun to take people there. It's this high mound. I mean, it's higher than this roof. It's a large mound that's there. It took about a mile to walk around it. So it would have been a fairly easy walk to march around this. Seven times would have been a seven-mile hike. (laughs) So a little longer on the seventh day. But when these walls fell out, and they literally fell out, it created, if you will, a ramp into the city. And we don't know exactly what did that, but around 1400 BCE is when the walls came down. And there's, there's evidence of a fire, you know, archaeologically in the site. So just to give you a picture of what it looked like as you're trying to visualize this story. I want to make some observations. Um, first, I want to say this. I want to talk about how the conquest assignment, and I'm giving that sort of a capital thought, um, is like the Christian life. And what I want to say with this, I I wrote a couple notes that I just want to um, share about this, is all of us have strongholds in our life. I think we're aware of that. So if you think about the Christian journey, we're saved, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, We're born again, we move from the kingdom of darkness, that's Egypt, into the kingdom of light. And the first stage is the wilderness where we learn to trust God that everything comes from his hand. We can't do it by ourselves. We learn to trust him. We see his supernatural provision. We begin to have early success. And then God says, it's time to take your inheritance. And he leads us in a journey where we deal with the strongholds that are still resident in our heart or our mind, and we have to conquer those. So here's how it, it reads in, say, for example, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down our strongholds. That's what we sang about today. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and Christ being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So it's saying that there are strongholds that can be fought or high and lofty things that need to be pulled down and it's heaven's power, it's supernatural. We don't do it in our fleshly effort. God does it himself. He pulls those down. We take them captive to Christ. And as we're obedient, then Christ fulfills that and punishes those things, gets rid of those things that are strongholds in our life. Does that make sense? How that verse reads. Then we've got Ephesians 1, 3. Uh, Ephesians has a similar picture. It says it this way. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So we we are seated with Christ in heaven. We're already forgiven. We're already redeemed. We're already, you know, have the imputed righteousness of Christ. We're justified. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians has this long list. We, We plumb the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus the spirit of God strengthening our inner man. Then it goes to four verse one and says this, therefore brothers, I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord and beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So we're seated with all the things accomplished in heavenly places. Therefore we walk worthy of that call. And then finally, um, 
It says in Ephesians 4, 17, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of heart, who being past feeling or conscious, give themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you've not learned such a way in Christ. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new man, which was created in God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a different way of saying we walk in what's already been accomplished through Christ. And then finally, Ephesians 6, verse 10 and following says this, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Here's the, verse, the, the scripture so you can see them. Um, the principalities, oops, I lost my place. Uh, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, day and having done all, stand. So we have this picture in the New Testament, like in the Old Testament, that we have a position of victory already accomplished in the Lord. From that place, we live a holy lifestyle and then we do our battles with the enemy. So I'm, I drew a really crude picture and I drew it like a Westerner, sideways like in the east, but I made the west the top. So the top is the Mediterranean Sea, the bottom portion there are the mountains of the Transjordan Plateau and the, the Sea of Galilee and the, the Dead Sea off to the left. So I'm just drawing central Israel and I put it sideways. Notice they come through Jericho they take it first. In 7 and 8, we're going to see they take the city of Ai, which is another stronghold on the central Benjamin Plateau. And I called it iniquity, and Ai means ruins. And notice what I put here, Hamas, which means violence. I put it where Gaza is today. Trauma, lust, anger, greed, unforgiveness. Those could be strongholds in your life. It's just a mere representative list. Those would be the city-states in the natural in Israel and the two the arrows of red where they'd had a southern campaign and took those. Then they had a, nor a central and a northern campaign and took those. And the idea was they were to conquer all of the territory and get rid of the strongholds that were there. And if you study the names, they actually mean some things, which is kind of interesting. They didn't conquer certain cities. We know that, like the city of Jebus, the Jebusites, which later became Jerusalem, was not sacked. But these were high-walled cities, and they, Israel's assignment was to take those out. Now, why I say this is like this, by the way, isn't it interesting that when we accomplish one thing, like we cross the impossible of the Jordan, we immediately face this obstacle called Jericho. And then you've got I, and then you've got the Gibeonites, and you've got Hatsor, you know, Hatsor in the north, and Hebron in the south, and Ekron, and all the different places that needed to be conquered. It's kind of like that, and there's a diligence to conquering those territories. Now, what's happening in the old is it's a physical representation 
of what happens in the spirit realm in the New Testament. We know this, this picture here is like out of Isaiah um, 40 verse 5. If you see the little dot on the lower thing that looks like a hand of the cloud, this is the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. And that's the son of man descending from the clouds. Do you see it? So what's happening here is um, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna wage war, but uh, you know, finally defeat all of the devil. But in the meantime, it's like Normandy has been taken and we are mopping up the operation and we're dealing with the strongholds in our heart. Is this making sense? We must deal with our strongholds. So the point I made with this, see if I can go back, is the assignment of conquest is like your life and mine. So Father, we just thank you that you're going to conquer the strongholds. Apparently, according to Daniel, chains can either be broken or they can fall off, but the chains need to go. Whoop. Sorry. There we go. It's off. Ding. Second thing I want to say is this. We begin every offensive battle by the revelation of the need to surrender fully to God as the commander-in-chief of his battle. Just like Joshua 5, 13 to 15. It's, it's imprudent for you to go to war if you think it's your battle. You're gonna get whooped. It's like the seven sons of Sceva. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? <laughs> Paul understood it's the Lord's battle. I mean, prison doors for Peter don't open through human effort. But supernaturally, when the angel walks in and the chains fall off and the door opens and nobody notices as Peter goes out, that's the supernatural God. And it's like, like Daniel said, it's different every time. When God's, God does something like this, it could be a stone and a sling for David it could be a shout with trumpets. It could be clay pots and torches inside like for Gideon. But the fact is, it's God's battle. And we need, to, we need to realize that. So Lord, I thank you that we are a people that realize it's your battle, not ours. That you will fight our battles. We sung about it all morning, which was excellent. Um, I want to say this also, that the victory is assured by God's promise. Um. God said, behold, I have already given you the city. Notice the promise was, I've given it to you before they'd actually taken it. They just needed to believe that it's an accomplished work. God is doing it. It's already done. I just need to actually follow his instructions and it's mine. So what is it that is your Jericho this morning that maybe you need God to act supernaturally to tear down some walls? What are those walls that seem impossible, the stronghold that you've been battling for years and you don't know how to get rid of? I can tell you, you can't scale those walls. You won't take it out yourself, but God will do it for you. This is so important we catch this. It's assured by the promise. I love some of the scriptures that come around this. Um, Galatians 3.18 in the New Testament says this way, for our inheritance, if the inheritance is of the law, the things we should do 
in our own strength. It is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Hebrews 6.15, and so after Abraham had patiently endured, he inherited or obtained the promise. We're children of promise. God has said, if God has promised it, it's, it's a done deal. So my thought is, and the enemy already knew that they, he was a defeated flow. Jericho already knew they'd lost. That's why they were walled in. The devil already understands he's lost the battle. But do you understand it? Do you act, this is the stronghold of thought, right? Do you actually understand that the battle belongs to the Lord? It's already given to you. It's already an accomplished fact. And all you have to do is believe the promise. So you can take it. And that's where the the devil's main thing is. Has God really said? Has God said, oh, surely he's lying to you. He's withholding stuff from you. You need to take actions on your own behalf to defend yourself. Make yourself useful, wise, right? The lust of the flesh, the apple looked good, or the apple on the tree of knowledge, good and evil, whatever it was called, that fruit looked good to eat. Was pleasing to the eyes, And it was useful for making one wise. The lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. So the devil lies to you all the time and you can't take your strongholds out because you're trying to do it through your own strength. It's by promise. The fourth thing I want to say is this. Secure God's specific instructions first or if he's not given them to you in advance as you go. There are times the Lord says, I want you to go do this. And he gives you a strategy, which is awesome. I actually love the fact that he's looking at Jericho and the Lord says, here's the strategy. Number one, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And part of that is I'm your commander. You're not in charge. I am. And here's the promise. I've already given you the city. Strategy number two. Strategy number three, just do what I say, believe in the promise, right? See that the enemy's already a defeated foe. He's kind of giving, and then he gives instructions. March around it once for a day. March around it once on day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And on the seventh day, the day of rest, when you're all supposed to be resting in the Lord's completed work, go around it seven times. And just keep blowing those shofar, announcing the Lord's presence, that the Lord's got this. And the Lord himself, when you shout, like we did this morning, and declare God is on the throne, those walls of opposition will come down, and you'll go in and claim your inheritance. What a picture. Isn't that like crazy? But we need instructions. So how many of you know you get ministry assignments or calls, and you charge off in your human zeal? And you wonder why you hit the wall and you're taking another lap around Sinai. (laughs) It's like, oh, I kind of forgot. Man does not live by bread that I produce with my hands alone, but on every word or promise that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if I follow him, my clothes won't wear out. My sandals won't wear out. Everything will be taken care of because I'm dwelling in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty and I'm doing what he said. Faith is hearing the now word of God and responding by action to what you've heard. So we need instructions. Sometimes the Lord, you get a quickening, you're somewhere and the Lord says, I want you to pray for that healing. And it'd be really nice for the Lord to suddenly give this scrolling movie in your mind and it's okay, here's how it's gonna work. You're gonna 
lay hands and it's gonna take 30 seconds, it's gonna come off and I want you to speak this, this, and this. That's, sometimes it's in advance. Other times it's like, go pray for that person. You're like, yeah, like, hello, Lord, what, what do I do? This is usually how most 99% of my stuff comes. You go up and you say, hey, can I pray for you? What's wrong? And you start, you have no idea what you're doing, but as you go, you hear the Holy Spirit and the Lord acts on your obedience and as you're doing what he said to do, he gives you more information because you've got to be dependent every step of the way and suddenly the healing manifests. So it's this idea of getting his instructions first. And you obey in faith, no matter how foolish they seem. I, I love that. Like, seriously, a rock and a sling on a 10-foot tall giant? Although I guess you can whip it 120 to 150 miles an hour, and you saw it's about the size of a tennis ball. Um, but the accuracy to nail him in the forehead? By the way, did you notice David shouted, this day I will cut off your head and feed it to the birds of the air? Like he took the insult of the devil and said, you're coming down, I got you. The battle belongs to the Lord. I took out the lion, I took out the bear, and the same God that did that, I'm not gonna wear Saul's armor, the armor of the flesh of self-effort and fear, but I'm gonna put on the armor of the five smooth stones of grace, and I'm gonna declare God's got this and the, that God is gonna take care of that uncircumcised Philistine enemy. Do you feel that how this works? Same thing with Gideon. Gideon's like, oh, I need a fleece. How am I going to do this? How you get? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Take the earthen vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, right? Uh, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Put a torch in there, which is a symbol of my presence, and blow shofar, announcing my presence, and shatter them at the same time with just 300 versus 30,000. And the enemy will rout himself because God is showing himself mighty as the presence of God is revealed. It's not your battle, Gideon. It's mine, says the Lord. So we don't know what, whether it's Jericho, whether it's that, but the issue is, do you, do you feel the principles? Whatever he says to do, do it. Like the guy, like, okay, let's put some mud. Jesus spits on it. And it's like, okay, spit on mud. Let's put it in the eyeball. How is that going to release healing? But he did what Jesus said, same thing with the healing of Nahum, the, of leprosy, is go wash in the Jordan. Well, why the Jordan, that muddy river? Like, couldn't we do this in the river of Assyria? Like the, the beautiful river of Assyria, it says, and, and the servant said, you fool, do what the prophet said. And as he obeyed that, his leprosy was healed. No matter how foolish, it's like you've got open sores of leprosy, why would you get in a muddy river? But the word of the Lord said, and they were healed. This is how this takes place. We, we get instructions and we obey it to the letter. And then number six, we invite God's presence to go before us and we wait expectantly. Can you imagine waiting six days? While they're standing on these walls, you see these walls higher than this ceiling, standing before you this mound with all the soldiers mounted on the walls. And you're sitting there going, Dude, we're blowing, we're blowing ram's horns and we're marching the ark around this thing. What are we thinking? I mean, I, I'm trying to put myself in the average person's mindset, but Joshua did not blink an eyelid because he knew what the Lord spoke. 
And he understood the principle, if I do what God says, God will move and God will act. And we march the presence around the problem. So, let's say you have a broken marriage, but you know the Lord, and you are a mobile carrier of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence through the Holy Spirit, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you walk into your marriage problem, and you bring the presence to bear and say, Jesus, I can't fix this, but you can. Will you do what only you can do? I need the walls that are standing between our reconciliation to come down. What are your instructions? I'll do whatever you say. You see how, see how this works? It could be, Lord, I need a new job. What do you have to say? And we begin to bring the presence as the answer to the problem. Do you realize everywhere you walk in your life today, you walk into a situation where you, you're a game changer? Because you, you carry the presence. And when God's presence and glory shows up, everything changes. In that waiting, by the way, waiting carries with it the connotation of being expectant. God will move. Some of you are praying for healing, maybe of cancer. Or you're praying for an answer to prayer you've been praying for decades. And you're like, where is God? But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as the eagles, right? They shall run and not grow weary. There's this issue of long-term faith in the delay because God moves in his timetable. So I put it this way. According to his timetable, it's the way God acts and always fulfills his promises. Do we believe it? Lord, I'd sort of like it tomorrow, but six days until they finally realize, you know what, this isn't working real well, but we're doing what God said. And on the seventh day, oh my gosh, the day of rest when God's in charge, boom, happened. And all they did was the shofar were to announce the presence the ram's horn, by the way, is an interesting picture. It was picked up from Genesis 22, where Abraham offered Isaac, his only son in the natural, to the promise, Sarah, the mother of the nations. And the Lord said, offer your, your son as a sacrifice. But then God provides a ram in the thicket. And in the tradition, they took the ram's horn and they blew that to say, God provides. Jehovah Jireh, my God provides. My God provides. What is the ram about? It's Jesus is the sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. So they are blowing that ram's horn. It's also used to announce the Sabbath, the day of God's rest, where we cease from our labor. It's also the, the shofarim, Yehilem, uh, I can't, pronounce it well, the jubilee, blowing of the jubilee of the 50th year where all the captives are set free. If you will, this was a jubilee invasion. And they blow that and announce it and they do it seven times to honor the Lord, right? 
Seven times seven is 49. Then they blow the trumpet. 50 happens. The Jubilee, everything's set free. All the captives are set free on Jubilee. So he always fulfills it. We just don't see the picture until afterwards. I can recognize the sevens and say, oh, this is that. I can recognize the ram's horn and say, that's a type of Christ. But in the moment, it makes no sense. You're just doing what the Lord says and you don't really understand what it means and what's gonna happen with it until it happens. Number eight, determinedly secure the victory as God acts. You've got to take out the stronghold. Some of you get victory in an area and you think, oh, that's awesome. And the pain, the pressure of what's broken is slightly off and you kind of rest. And you fail to take out the entirety of that stronghold. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? You, like you have a marriage crisis or whatever it is and you get moments of peace. And you're like, okay, we're all done. Well, no, actually you've got a lot to clean up. Or you get a moment of victory in lust or alcohol or whatever it is, and you think, okay, whew, feel better, awesome. And God says, take it out, take it all out. It's all devoted to me, all belongs to me. Why? Because the sin belongs to Jesus, not to you. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. There's a prophetic picture in this. But you gotta give it all to him. You gotta take out the stronghold. That was, and God said, you will take out the, the strongholds little by little so that you can grow strong enough to occupy and possess the land. If I took them all out at once, you would not know how to possess them. So you actually learn through your fight because you're being trained to reign with Christ. You're being trained to rule over cities. You're being trained to have victory over the end. Why, why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil and to set the captives free, which is you and I, bring us out of bondage and into relationship with the Father and into an inheritance which is found in Christ. But we can't harbor residue strongholds and expect there not to be a raiding party occasionally that messes with us. Does that make sense? Like you, you let a stronghold in there. Oh, it's awesome. I love Jesus. And then the stronghold sends out a raiding party and you, you lose it on Tuesday. Time to take them out. Let's see if I have anything else. By the way, do you know what's assured in scripture for your victory? Demonic oppression and torment must be dealt with. It's been dealt with on the cross. If you have any torment from the dark side, it goes. Healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. It's the children's bread. Broken marriages. I think God's for marriage. Financial provision. I think God promises that. Jehovah Jireh is one of his names. Salvation. You just run the list. Like, what is your Jericho that needs to come down? And we're almost saying... God of revival today as a closing song. But the issue is this, after you deal with your strongholds, revival. I'm looking for the fruit of the land of my inheritance. Lord, take down all of my strongholds. Number nine, give God the glory. What is due him taking no credit to yourself? This is the idea of the ban. 
Whatever you take out, it's the Lord's battle. You don't take it to yourself saying, well, yeah, I mean, I, I worked really hard at this and look what I accomplished in defeating my sin. Like, hello, what? <laughs> Does not work. Or, oh, oh Lord, you know, uh, I know that I'm supposed to like tithe. I'm supposed to give to you and honor you with my first fruits. But man, I need it right now. So I'm keeping it for myself. No, actually, the gold and silver here go into the treasury of the Lord's house. If you will, this is the first tithe. This is the first fruits of the land. It belongs to God. Scripture's clear. First fruits belong to him. And if we take from it the windows of heaven which are open, close. So we don't take glory. Again, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically. So we get out of the physical and into what's the spiritual significance of this story for the New Testament believer. One more. Walk in lockstep unity. All eyes on Jesus, all hands on deck. I put it in quotes because Heidi Baker said that at the beginning of COVID. Here's the deal. Do you notice how they all work together in their lane or the assignments? Drew had a word that God is restoring right now um, assignments and lanes for individuals. He had the analogy of like these Boy Scout cars where you race the pine, the, the pine cars out, the pine derby they called it. And everyone is different, but the fact is we're all working together. So you've got priests, you've got ram's horns, you've got people carrying the ark, you've got the people with swords, you've got like, seriously, you've got all these things. So God is actually raising up an army, which we said right now. And the fact is, you all have different assignments in the army. And so, but we walk in unity because we're defeating things together. Now, I contrast this because there's a difference between, um, I think the picture to me is, um, we have several strongholds that we're trying to take out offensively. Most of the New Testament's talking about a defensive position. Stand, stand firm against the enemy coming at you. Here it's like, no, take out that stronghold. And I'm using Joshua 6. So we're taking out the stronghold of our flesh. We're taking out the stronghold of the world that's influenced us. And we're taking out the stronghold of Satan, which has come against us. All of those are legitimate applications of things we're taking out. So I, I, I put a picture here. Jesus mission was to win back the earth and mankind from Satan. The areas of warfare are the self, the world, and Satan. Our realm of authority to fight and push back darkness is restored by Jesus in us as his ambassadors on the earth. Have you felt the offense, that offensive move that's been happening in this last month? We had a kind of a war drum feel today. Aslan's on the move. Are we marching with Aslan so that the queen of Narnia, <clears throat> Satan, and the stone figures that are captive are set free and we're conquering dark strongholds and the brother that fell into the queen's captivity and we're, we're storing the land because we obey what Aslan's doing. I'm just giving you the Narnian picture. You hear where I'm going with this. So here's what we've learned. The conquest assignments like the Christian life. We begin every offensive battle by the revelation of the need to fully surrender to God as commander in chief. It's his battle. Know your victory is assured by God's promise. 
Secure God's specific instructions first or as you go. Obey his instructions in faith, no matter how foolish they seem. Invite God's presence to go before you and wait expectantly. According to his timetable and his way, God acts. He always fulfills his promises. Determinedly secure the victory as God acts. Do not let a residue of the old man stay resident in your mind or your heart. Take it out ruthlessly. Jesus said, if your right hand sins, cut it off. Back one slide. Are you guys taking a picture? There's one slide. You're welcome. There's the next slide. Number nine, give God the glory of what's due him. And of course, number 10 is walk in lockstep unity. So I want to just close this by saying that you and I are on an offensive move right now. It's the year of the open door, 5784. And it's also the decade of the mouth. What you speak with your mouth makes a difference. So Lord, we declare that the chains which held us to our past are broken. We declare that the strongholds in our life are coming down by the power of the blood of Jesus. We declare that God is for us, therefore nothing can stand against us. And nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We declare that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I tell you, all of creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. That's you. So that that which is in bondage in the world is actually restored through revival into its intended purpose. So I guess I'm challenging us to go on the offense this morning. When the Lord gives you instruction, I've seen a number of you taking offensive charge of your issues. God's been convicting and speaking to you like, I need to deal with this. I need to deal with that because you're getting circumcised again and you're celebrating your Passover and you're, you're, you're celebrating those things and God is now restoring back to you and it's time to go on the offense and take out iniquity and ruins and violence and lust and unforgiveness. You just name it. And I love the fact it took seven years because that's God's number. God still fought for seven years. And as you do that, you will possess the land and you will give an inheritance to your children and your children's children. It says the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generation, but the righteousness, your righteousness in Christ is visited to the thousands of generations. So I want to purchase something so that my sons and daughter and my grandchildren do not have to suffer what I went through because I have dealt with my strongholds. They can stand on the platform of what's been paid for and they'll have their own battles, but they won't have to fight the same ones I fought because I'll give them inheritance. This is Joshua 6. This is what we're talking about. Let's stand. I'll pray for us.
All right, we might as well picture that angel army that Christy Joy saw, and I think Mimi had the same vision. We might as well picture the Son of Man coming on the clouds with glory. To, this is the picture of when Satan's finally whipped in Revelation at the close of the book. Daniel um, 10, is it 7-13 or 10-13? Uh-oh. Where the Son of Man comes on the clouds. I think it's, ooh, I think it's Daniel 10. All right, we'll call it Daniel 10, 13. If I'm wrong, I need my Bible scholars to look it up. Jesus, I thank you that this house, these people, those that watch us online, those that attend regularly in person, those that listen to our podcast, Lord, that we would come into fullness of freedom and that our strongholds, whatever they might be, are coming down. Lord, last week we had a a marker in the sand that, okay, we're done with our self-effort. Today we're putting a marker in that says, I'm going to march the promise and the presence of God around my stronghold until God acts and tears it down. And once it's torn down, I will need none of, it, none of it left. I'll destroy everything inside that. By the power of the Lord, and Jesus is the commander of the, of the Lord's army. Hebrews 12, therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter, champion of your faith. So Father, I thank you that I just declare over, all of us here probably are, are naming or recognizing a stronghold. We declare they're coming down right now in Jesus' name. The chains are broken. The walls are coming out. We don't care if it's an earthquake. We don't care if it's a flood. We don't care if it's a a push from heaven. We need those walls down. We ask you, what is it? 713. Okay, thank you. It's Daniel 713. We thank you that the Son of Man has already accomplished and his victory is sure. Do you feel that resolve in your heart? I think this is the ministry today to just resolve. Surrender it to God. You've got some principles now. You can watch this or listen to it again to sort of hear those principles. This is offense. It's different than defense. Defense, I put on armor and I stand. Offensively, I take up the sword, which is the word and the spirit. I act on the promises, praying always in the spirit And I tear down strongholds, taking every thought captive. So Father, I thank you for strongholds coming down in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite the ministry team to come up. We're going to pray for some of you that need it. Yeah, we give the Lord a hand today. God bless you. I hope you feel strengthened and encouraged. I want you to live from heaven towards earth. Live from victory that's already been accomplished and watch and see what God will do on your behalf. Amen. All right.